I asked for a meeting with my boss and I walk in her office with this letter in hand, give her this letter, and, and I say, hey, boss, if you could read this, it would make it a lot easier for me to do what I have to do right now. She unfolds this college rule piece of notebook paper and she says, uh, Alex, this letter is from my daughter. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have social entrepreneur, humanitarian, and founder of Because I Said I Would, Alex Sheen, as he shares the story behind his foundation, the importance of keeping a promise, and how tragedy can ultimately create hope. Last week, I had a conversation with Alex Sheen, who speaks regularly to schools and educators on the philosophy of his foundation, Because I Said I Would. Here's our interview with Alex Sheen. Because I Said I Would is this kind of the surprise movement that has really touched a lot of people, um, but it, you didn't start off with the idea of turning it into a social movement. It was just a very uh, direct, personal, heartfelt beginning. Can you tell us how this whole thing got started? Yeah, of course. And, and sometimes when I reflect on that, I guess, origin of this whole thing, it, it's a weird feeling because it's almost like I wish it never happened and type of thing. Uh, you know, my father, he was he was the start of this in, in basically every way, you know. He was a, a handshake means something kind of guy, you know. He says he's going to be there. He shows up. It's pretty simple, but it seems like when it comes to keeping promises, a lot of people don't do that anymore. And so I really remember him by the promises that he made and kept me and my brother. Uh, unfortunately, my father was diagnosed with stage four small cell lung cancer. And on September 4th of 2012, uh, he died. I gave his eulogy. And the title of that was Because I Said I Would. I talked about the importance of a promise at his funeral. And for the very first time that day, I handed out this small piece of paper that I made. I called it a promise card. On the front, it says in the corner, Because I Said I Would. On the back, there's literally nothing else. It's almost blank. What you do is you just write a promise on the card. You give it to someone that you're making that commitment to. You tell them, I'm going to fulfill this promise, and when I do, I earn this card back. This card is a symbol of my honor, my respect. It is my property, and I'm coming back for it. You go, you fulfill your promise, you come back to that person, you earn that card back, and you keep it as a per, as a, as a reminder that you're a person of your word, um, like my father was to me and, and to my brother. And, um, and so his funeral ends, I go home. Uh, and the next thing I would do would set off a chain of events to the scope of which I may never understand. And, uh, and that's because I would offer to send 10 promise cards to anybody anywhere in the world at no cost to anyone, which, Brian, is the, uh, the dumbest financial decision I have ever made in my <laughs> entire life. So podcast listeners, uh, first tip in this episode, don't offer free stuff to strangers on the Internet. Because it uh, <laughs> sounds like fun, but uh, that's not really going to work out for your wallet too well. Uh, since the day that my father died, we have distributed over 11.3 million promise cards to over 153 countries and by request only. And um, and I could keep going on and on, but you know when we talk about 
this thought of the impact that this card has made and the start of so many promises around the world is obviously something that that myself and, and this charity is proud of, but um, also something that came from a place and and a time in my life that is probably uh, the most difficult thing I've had to go through yet. You know, I never lost someone that I I had loved that close to me. Uh, you know, I was 26 years old, and I and I had to say goodbye. But sometimes uh, you just gotta you gotta pick up what you got and do the best you can with it. You know, they say the strongest steel is forged in the hottest fire, or whatever cheesy quote you want to use. And I wasn't gonna let my father's death just be uh, some sad moment. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, you throw in that pebble and the ripple goes and goes kind of from the power of your father's example and you following that. What was the first ripple like, like from that, from the funeral, from handing out those cards? Do you have any stories or examples of of just that immediate group there, even before it hit hit the Internet? Do you have any stories from that immediate? Yeah. Yeah. I I remember when this was just kind of spreading even quickly, but locally, like before the first big viral kind of moment for because I said I would, um, there, you know, there was just news stories locally, even the place where I worked, you know, people were hearing about it. I was, you know, at an organization that was like a, a fortune 100 top companies to work for in the United States. And, you know, it was, so it was a larger kind of place, software company. And uh, that's, I think, where one of those stories from the very beginning would come from. You know, so I was, I was hearing all this feedback of all these things that people would write on this promise card. And it was coming from so many different places in life, from people who had survived abuse, from people who were diagnosed with cancer, people who were, um, honestly, they were about to die themselves. They're just kids. Like I can't just literally the fullest range. Um, even from the get go, it was it was that way. Even when it was really small, and and because of those stories, I just got to this point where I I had to, in some ways, learn from my father. You know, when he passed away, it, it wasn't like this movie like moment. It's not like he held my hand and said, "It's time for me to go. It's going to be all right." You know, my father wanted to live. Okay, everything doesn't happen like it does in movies. And so I didn't want to go out of this life myself with with the type type of regret that I know that he had. And and so I got all these these promise stories and all these promise rec- card requests were pouring in and I knew that I had to leave my job at that software company to go help people in what little ways I know how. And, and I, that was floating around in my head, but there was this one moment where on my desk at work was this letter. It was anonymous, didn't know who it came from, had nobody's name on it but my own. But this is roughly what it said. It said, hi, Alex, I've been keeping up with your blog. Because I said I would has really, really helped me through a rough patch. There's lots of times where I didn't think life was worth living and I almost took my life. I'm getting stronger every day, and a lot of that strength comes from a few promise cards I've written. I have lots of people who care about me. I'm a very, very lucky person. It took a lot for me to realize I should be alive. I do have a purpose. I'm not sure if I would even be around if it wasn't for you and your organization. So thanks, Mr. Sheen. I know I'm supposed to write this on a card, but I want to promise you that I will not give up. And and when I read that, and I say I say that it roughly says that, to be honest, I know every single word 
of that letter because it burned into my brain thinking about who this is. Is it a friend of mine? Is it a, that they just didn't want me to know what they were going through? Or is this a complete stranger? I mean, 1,400 people can't know them all. But I, regardless, I knew what this letter meant to me. It meant that I had to do what uh, I always had to do, which was to leave my life of comfort, go alone and help people in what little ways I know how. So I asked for a meeting with my boss and I walk in her office with this letter in hand. She's sitting there uh, and I give her this letter. And, and I say, hey, boss, if you could read this, it would make it a lot easier for me to do what I have to do right now. And she says, sure, Alex, no problem. She unfolds this college rule piece of notebook paper. She reads as much as I have literally you know, just spoken to you now. Then she stops. She looks up at me and she says, uh, Alex, uh, this letter is from my daughter. This is about her, she says. This is her handwriting. And that kind of envelope you're holding, those are the kind of envelopes I have in my kitchen counter. When did she give this to you? My boss's daughter uh, was suffering through depression. Uh, you see, she was overweight and she'd go to school and kids decided that they were going to pick on her for that. And so she'd come home, this feeling of rejection and sorrow, not, not knowing how to handle her emotions, she would cut herself. But this family knew about promise cards long before the world. You know, breaking a bad habit is not about promising to quit forever because forever is too far to hold honestly. So how about just not today? Write that again tomorrow and, and see if we can get these things to stack up. So Brian, when you talk about the early days and like what it meant to me and a story from it, you know, there's a point in life where you just can't take it anymore. And it, and it, that may mean different things to different people. But for me, uh, I couldn't keep reading this these stories and pretend like there wasn't anything I could do to help these people. I think that's what we have to do as leaders is understand that our commitments, our obligations, our promises in this life aren't so inward all the time. You've got to make a promise to help others in need because this world is in great need. And, and I think today uh, that doesn't really need to be explained to anyone. Now, this is, you know, you speak to a lot of corporations as well, but a, a big, big part is education and schools. And, you know, that story that you just shared is, is from the very beginning, but just bringing it up to present day, like we're recording this in, in August of 2019, and you've just come back from, you know, one of the places that needs to hear this, this mo the most in El Paso. Can, so can you share sort of the situation there and, and what you said? You know, the shooting happened on, on a Saturday. And I hear about it, and just like everybody across the country did, within 24 hours, another shooting happens in my home state. I was born, raised, educated. I work and live in, in Ohio. And, and the Dayton shooting happens after. And I remember hearing El Paso, though, in that first moment. And I, I was like, I'm speaking in El Paso. I, I'm like, I know, I know that I am. And so I look at my calendar and this happens on a Saturday and I fly there on a Wednesday, the following Wednesday. Now I immediately text message the, the leadership of El Paso independent school district. So that's the public school district for all of El Paso. This event is for 5,000 teachers, educators, uh, but also the, the staff uh, of, of the entire school district, El Paso Coliseum kind of thing. And I don't want to bother them at all. So that's why I just send a text message. They're going through 
a, a lot. I, I, this is the next day. And I say, you know, if the event is still happening, um, you know, obviously I'm going to do my best to, to support it because I remember even in the beginning of, of January of, of 2018, Marshall County High School. You know, I speak at assemblies because that's part of the nature of our charity. And in, and, and in January of that year, a 15-year-old student walks into the school. He shoots 16 kids to pass away. And we did the first assembly after that incident. You know, these places where you give speeches, it's like the most regretful type of thing in that it prepares you for these moments. I don't know. How, I don't even know the right words to say, but I just told El Paso, I mean, I'll do my best. I, it's hard to say that anybody can fit that moment. And I just tried to to tell them that if, if you needed to cancel whatever you got to do, you guys got to take care of you. And they just said, you know what, this is, this is the time for this moment. This, this school district who, you know, family members, students, they lost people. You know, they, they, this is a message for that thought that life has to move on in a positive way that we have promises to make and keep not only to ourselves and our community, but to those we've lost. And so that day it starts. And to be honest, it, it felt like every other day and, but almost in a good way. And that's, I think the resilience of, of that community that, that, it's not like anybody was pretending that there wasn't an elephant in a room. That's not what I'm saying. It's just they had an attitude that we're from here. This is our hometown. Someone came in from Dallas and and they killed so many of ours, but we're going to keep moving on. One one man is is not going to overshadow the love and and the 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 caring of an entire community. Goodwill plays on home turf in El Paso, Texas. And so speaking to, to those 5,000 folks that day was an incredible honor. We, I, I had dinner with the superintendent. We're talking about uh, getting some programming into their schools and character education, which is what we do as a charity. Um, and, and I could go into that, but the, the thought of you know sharing this message with audiences, it, it comes with some of you, yeah, you're honest, your standard days, you do this for long enough and you'll find yourself in some tough spots and, and sometimes the message fits. What do you think it is about tragedy that helps people follow through and, and keep their promises? I think tragedy reminds you that one day, uh, as dark as it may sound, we're all going to leave, every one of us. And that can be dark, that can be sad, if you want to look at it that way. Or you can take that perspective and, and use it to reflect on the incredible value of our time and our, our life on this planet. You know, it, 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 tragedy is a reminder to never let the things you want to, to make you forget the things you have, you know? And, and I think that it's hard to say how we respond to tragedy too, because I would love for it to be formulaic. You know, we just you know, you know, pick yourself up from by your bootstraps and all that nonsense. It doesn't always work that way, but there is a concept, obviously, of post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, in in some of the folks that we work with, you know, they they have felt that. 
But there's also a phenomenon in human beings called post-traumatic growth. And and how much of that is though mindset? How much is, of it is biology? I mean, this this is a a very uh, fair and honest argument and 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 uh, debate that should be had, should be researched, should be understood. But I do think that there is a certain amount of self control that can can play into our moments of uh, of tragedy. That we can take what we have lost and and make the best of it through a promise made kept and broken. And, and Brian, even, you know, you mentioned the, the, the loss of, of someone that you love, you know, before we even started this podcast, you know, discussion, it's, it's one of those things where I think we all understand and relate to this point of reflection where, you know, maybe there's something more to life. Now you speak uh, you speak everywhere from corporations to campuses. And by the way, I want to make sure our listeners know uh, for the Beyond Speaking podcast here for all the listeners out there, a hundred percent of of your speaking fee goes to charity. Um, so it's it's a great way to go and make an impact um, through because I said I would. Um, but my question for you is, how is the message different for you in schools versus businesses, or or is it different? Yeah, you know, I think I think the nature of my speech and my and the best ability that I have, I want to reflect the nature of of what a promise really is. And by that I I mean that it is no different. We we cannot take this approach where we we okay, we keep promises at work, but not at home. We keep promises to the charities, but not to our kids. We make promises and keep them to the neighbors to hold up an image but not to ourselves. You know, I think when we look at the importance of a promise and, and when you're a person of your word, you hold yourself to a single standard. Now that's easier said than done, but that's the best way to do it. And that's the most honest way to do it. And I think that because I said I would message, especially as us as a charity, this is not about making a better manager, employee, educator. This is about making a better human being. You know, and, and, and with that, you know, whatever happens from there, hopefully is good. But I think that's where we got to start. We've got to, we've got to care about our, our, our family, our community. We've got to care about those things that matter most in life. And if it trickles out from there, good. But at the very least, that's where we got to start. You know, one of the things I love about you is your, is your start and talking about your dad and your childhood. And, uh, and I believe, uh, if, hopefully I'm pronouncing it the right way, but I know you went by Al, but Wei Min, uh, I believe it was his name, and an and immigrant from, from Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, you talk so much about how he was, you know, you know, his words, his bond and his handshake mean something. And I know that's, you got this from your dad. Where did he get it from? You know, I think that when my father came to this country, you know, in 1974, he came by himself. He had finished his last year of school. And it's, it's really, it's a little rough when you don't know anybody and you're trying to make it, um, you know, just working at, at restaurants and just taking odd second jobs, third jobs. I think the consequences of life and your decisions, what you decide to do, um, is so much stronger when you're at that point. You know, for me, I, I, I could call my mom. I could call my dad. I make a mistake. I, I got my grandparents to ring up. I got somebody. My dad had nobody. He's all by himself. And so 
the consequences of his actions were just so much stronger. And I think, I think at that point, you really have to do as much as you can to build trust in your life. And you also have to do as much as you can to work hard to, to get by. And that hard work, that hard work builds self-control. And that self-control is something you use to keep promises in itself. And so that's why when I was growing up, little bratty suburban kid, you know, my dad was became a pharmacist. You know, he's like, you got everything. When I, when I was young, I had to ice skate uphill both ways, whatever, you know, like that whole immigrant Asian father thing. And, and he, he, he just couldn't relate to the, the small amount of self-control that I had because I think he needed so much of it to survive. So when you say you're going to do something, you're going to be there for someone, he would get upset when you broke a promise because he literally, like, it, it didn't, he couldn't understand why you wouldn't have the determination to do that. Um, because his determination, at least in some ways, was so strong. So I'm not sure what that answer is, and unfortunately, I'll never be able to ask him, but I have a strong feeling that it, it came from the hard work that it took to to make it on your own. Now, one final thing I wanted to talk to you about, and, and definitely the people who are out there, you know, check out the book uh, because I said I would. It's got amazing stories. And, and one of the things I like is the framework from your code of honor. Uh, and those real quick, wouldn't go through all of them, but uh, self-control, compassion, contemplation, honesty, accountability, sacrifice, and hope. Uh, which, which of those stands out the most to you, or maybe which of those are you asked about the most? Yeah, I think, I think there's one that stands out to me because it was the last one that the organization decided was foundational, meaning what you just read as, as the seven elements of honor for because I said I would, we think those are like seven elemental characteristics of what it means to be a person of your word. And the last one that I added was actually hope. And I think I was so just obsessed and, and, uh, focused or some word like that on on what it took to to keep a promise and the adversity and the challenge, the skill sets, the circumstances. There's a lot like everything like that's involved in a promise. I was so focused on that that I forgot that there not, needs to be something to even make a promise in the first place. Meaning, if you're an alcoholic. And let's say genetic predisposition, right? Let's say that your your father's an alcoholic, your mom, uncle, that you've even tried to to quit so many times, but have failed. There is a point where if you don't think you can do it, you don't have that hope that you can keep that promise to get sober. You never make the promise. That to me is why hope is so important because the thing is, you can, you just have to try, you have to believe, you have to fail and then try again. You you cannot have a promise without hope. And I guess maybe the analytical part of me or whatever likes to focus on just everything that's tangible and planning and time management and all this. You've got to have hope first. And and it's something that you you just can't overlook. And you can't think is intangible or something, something you got to focus on. Zig Ziglar once said, and I'll probably butcher his quote, but, you know, people say that motivation doesn't last, right? Well, neither does bathing. 
That's why we have to do it every day, you know? And and there's something about that that speaks to hope and, 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 and what promise needs to even start. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D. of D. Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.